This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson, and today I'm delighted to be chatting with my new mate, Craig Harper, who is a podcast host, speaker, author, and researcher on human behavior, mind, and body. And we're going to be discussing today big, hairy, audacious goals. Welcome, Craig. Hi, Doc. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege. Oh, it's a great privilege for us to have you. And we are talking about goals today, big ones. And I guess I wonder what you think about big goals. Seeing you've got a very big podcast, you've got a big career, you've had, you've got lots of books, videos. You're a speaker, you're a motivational speaker. Your podcast is incredibly popular around the world, and it's called the You Project. <laughs> it is With it Craig is. Harper, the host. And yeah. what what got you into all these big goals? What what drives you to make to pursue these goals? Um. I think I'm really fascinated with human potential. Like I'm really interested in what we can do um, when we get out of our own way, <laughs> when we stop overthinking, we stop self-sabotaging, we stop self-loathing, or we at least turn down the volume on it. And I guess because I started working in gyms a hundred years ago, Doc, as a a gym instructor, my first job out of school was working in gyms as a gym instructor. I didn't do my first degree till a bit later, which was exercise science. But, uh, you know, the one thing that everybody has in common when they go to a gym is that they have goals. You know, everybody's uh, got to, everybody wants to change something, how they yeah. think, how they behave, how they look, how they feel, how they function, their back pain, their blood pressure, their sporting performance. Everyone goes with a goal or several goals in mind. And what I learned quite quickly was, as a gym instructor who then later, I set up the first personal training center in Australia and I wrote the first course with a friend of mine and all these things. But what I learned early days as a gym instructor, where you focus primarily on the body, of course, muscles and movement and strength and fitness and all of these things is that getting in shape was really more of a psychological and emotional process with a physical outcome. Wow. So even though people came there to change their body, I really needed to first understand the human inside the body because how much I would know about anatomy or physiology or biomechanics or movement or energy systems or adaptation or progressive overload, all these exercise science-y things, yeah. that mattered. But if I didn't have any idea why, you know, Brian doesn't turn up to the gym anymore when he said he would or why you know, Sally tells me that she wants to be fitter and leaner, but at the same time has a diet, which is self-sabotaging. I needed to try and understand the human behavior and the thinking and the decision-making and the goal setting and the subsequent peaks and troughs around all of that. So for me, that, that initial, you know, trying to help people change stuff, trying to help people with their goals, that was kind of the catalyst for me in, you know, really 40 years of kind of inquiry and investigation and, you know, fun. And so the drive for you to help other people with their goals, is mm. that to to see the outcomes? It Was it the results that, that really drove you or is it just the science behind it really? Uh, it's more about the people than the science. You know, I'm a scientist, but I'm more, I'm more passionate about people than science is cool and interesting, but, you know, I'm, I love, 
you know, I love, I, I, people say stuff like this, but I genuinely love helping people understand what they can do. I interviewed a guy called uh, Dr. Rick Charlesworth, who is arguably Australia's best ever coach in any field. Um, and he recently, I, I spoke to him two days ago, and he was the coach of the Australian uh, women's hockey team for a long time and men's team for a long time. He represented Australia at four Olympic Games. He's a medical doctor. He was a politician for 10 years. He's a genius. And he said to me, he never met anyone in all his years of coaching and politics and all the things he did that understood their own potential. Wow. And I feel like, you know, and it can sound a bit cheesy, but I feel like we don't understand how good we could be. And I don't mean good as in morally, but as in what we can do and be and create when we can get out of our own way. You know, I, yeah. I'm passionate about that. Well, big, hairy, audacious goals actually comes from the literature back in 1994. And so it's not a word I made up and it's pronounced B-hag. And right. it was developed by Porus and Collins, and it was based on Stanford Grad School of Business um, Research. And it talks about um, the fact that these big goals requ require relentlessly setting and achieving building blocks towards long-term achievement. And they we, we must maintain a sense of urgency, defeating all limiting probabilities to ultimately achieve our potential that you're talking about. So... Mm. So what drives us to to want to achieve our potential? Um, and I guess it's a it's a universal theme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what drives us is, you know, some positives and some negatives. Some is just the desire to explore our possibilities and to find happiness or purpose or to to have maybe a purpose bigger than ourselves. And I think sometimes what drives us is, you know, uh the idea of moving away from something, you know, it might yeah. be, I hate my job. I hate the way that I look or feel or function. I hate whatever, or I don't like, or I don't enjoy, or I'm not passionate about. I, I'm in the middle of an existence that I didn't really plan or want, but nonetheless, here I am. How do I, uh, how do I create my version of success? You know, so I'm interested in, you know, nobody wants to be a failure. That's nobody's goal. Yeah. And then, so my next question is, what is success for you? You know, and in our culture, and I'm generalizing here broadly, so excuse me, but it, well, let me talk about where I grew up anyway, where I was raised and the mindset and the culture I was raised in was that success is about stuff, what you have, what you earn, what you own, mm -hmm. what you drive, where you live, what people think of you. And these days your brand and your Facebook yeah. likes or your whatever. Right. And then, but I'm really fascinated beyond that. You know, I'm fascinated beyond that. And, you know, for me, success is really more beyond the the nuts and bolts of being able to live and survive financially, of course, which is an issue. But beyond that, for most of us who live in Australia and are somewhere vaguely in the comfortable space on a practical level, the next thing is mentally and emotionally, and perhaps depending on your belief system, spiritually, what is success for me? And so, you know, you have probably worked with, and I have worked with many people who, despite their success, their external appearance of success, house, money, brand, commercial success, in the middle of that, they, they're unhappy, they're unfulfilled, they're anxious, they're depressed, they're lonely, they're disconnected. So I, I think there's a reimagining of success that is needed. 
in 2022 on some level? Ah, uh, completely agree. Organizational psychology calls it the growth mindset mm. that if we're if we're continuing to grow, we're healthy and I guess happy um, as human beings. I liken it to nature. You know, you see plants continuing to blow, grow and blossom. Mm. And if they're not, they're in senescence during winter, you know, the sap stop, stops running for a certain yeah. time, but we have to start growing again and spring comes and plants start to grow. So I think as humans, if we're not growing and there, there's your potential, you know, you're growing towards your potential, maybe mm. um, that growth mindset is, is the big thing in organizational psychology. Um, and speaking of growing, you're growing at the moment, you're doing a bloody PhD. What on earth? You know, I've got a friend who said, I'd rather stick pins in my eyes mm. than do a PhD. Mm. I agree with your friend. Um, <laughs> so your friend is wise. Um, I, I don't know. For me, I am like, I'm just interested in not for any, uh, not for any great place of ego or anything. I, I'm just interested in like, uh, well, one, I'm fascinated with the mind. So, you know, ergo neuroscience, uh, neuropsychology, um, so I'm fascinated with the mind. I'm fascinated with my actual research. So that's good. Um, but also on me personally, I'm really curious to, I'm, I'm broadly interested in the way that we age. And when I say age, I'm not only talking biologically, I'm talking sociologically, um, emotionally, psychologically, cognitively, the way that, and, and I know that the more that I immerse myself in learning and unlearning, as is often the case, and exposing myself to great ideas and people and information, um, the younger I am. And, yes. you know, we have this, of course, this construct in our um, culture about age. And it's like, well, you've been on the planet this many years, therefore you're this old. And But age is so much more than, and I know this sounds cliche, but it it, it literally is. Um you know, beyond the the number on the calendar, I'm 58 and you can do a thing called a bio-age test, which kind of tells you, I could go more sciencey, but I won't, but it kind of tells you in inverted commas how old your body is yeah. from a health and performance and functional point of view. My bi biological age is 20 years younger than my chronological age. And that's not because wow. I'm genetically gifted because ironically, I was actually a morbidly obese kid, but because I've never had alcohol, I've never done drugs. I don't drink junk food. I eat two meals a day. I sleep great. I manage. I do all of the things that I can do yep. to optimize what I have to work with. And I've, because I wasn't the brilliant student, I wasn't the genetically gifted child. I wasn't the sporting prodigy. I was like captain mediocre. <laughs> and for me, it sounds weird, but for me, mediocrity was kind of a gift because it compelled me to work. Yeah. So I was either going to be a complete dud or I was going to work my ass off yep. and figure out what was possible for me with focus and discipline and self-control and determination. And then over time, those things, which are um, like controlled behaviors, they actually become hardwired habits. And now, you know, when people say to me, oh, you're so disciplined, you train every day, you work out or you do this, or oh, how do you have all? And the truth is I'm not that disciplined and I don't have, I don't, I'm not perpetually motivated or inspired because these things that I do, they're just part of my normal operating system. Wow. So it doesn't take willpower for me to go to the gym. It doesn't take willpower for me to be at a function where everybody's eating stuff that I can't eat or won't eat because it just doesn't work for my body. 
And there's no heroics in that. There's no accolades required. It's just not what I eat. And so I can be in a room, like I was at a wedding last weekend where I would say pretty much every person at that wedding, except me and the kids, uh, everyone was drinking. And I have no issue with not drinking because I've never been a drinker. Yeah. So there's nothing heroic or brave or disciplined about it. It's just, I'm interested in this. What are my values? What matters to me? What are my goals now? What's the reality I need to create around that? The operating system, the standards, the principles that I need to create around those goals and intentions so that now my life and my behavior and my outcomes are a reflection of those things that I say matter most. Absolutely. And from that platform that you have where you're maintaining yourself at an optimal level, you can then achieve your big goals because you've got everything else sorted basically so you've got your platform and you can just focus on your goals. You don't mm. have to rethink any of the basic self-regulation because you've got that as a habitual process. Yes, that's right. When we create a new kind of, I call it a, an autopilot, you know, or a, mm. you know, kind of that, that default setting. This is just me. This isn't me normal. This is not yes. me trying or working. This is normal me. Yes. You're and, not in training or anything. Well, and that's, you know. Yeah. And that's one of the challenges is that people think that success is all about inspiration and self-control and motivation. And it, it actually isn't. It's a, it's a bit about that, but it's a lot about, like I always say to other big background working with athletes. I used to say to my athletes, I don't care what you're motivated, what you do when you're motivated and inspired and in the zone. I care what you do when you're not. Yes. Because your ability to do what's required when you can't be stuffed that's what matters most because everyone's a champion when they're in the zone, right? Yes. I, I want to know what you're doing when you're not in the zone. When most people would give up, your challenge is to step up. I want to know what you do on the days where it's not fun, it's not quick, it's not easy, it's not painless, nobody's cheering you on, it's inconvenient, it's not sexy on any level. You know, it's like, I want to know what you do then because our ability to lean into the discomfort, and I'm talking about in a strategic, not reckless way, yeah. but our ability to lean into the stuff that we don't want to do, but the stuff that we know we need to do to get where we want to go, it's absolutely paramount on the success journey. And I guess that's putting the goal before the other things and delaying gratification or instant gratification and mm. deciding what matters more to us. Is it our goal to reach our potential or to at least aim for our potential over day-to-day, -day, I don't know, temptations or um, silly things and to stick to our normal habits that you're proposing and, and certainly role modelling mm. in an ideal way is mm. this autopilot that you mention? Mm. Yeah, look, it's, I mean... The thing too is that that if if I sit with an audience, you know, like I do a lot of speaking, and if I say to an audience of let's say 500 people, put up your hand, don't overthink this, but put up your hand, and this is not about ego or vanity, this is just, you know, a question. If you'd like to be a bit fitter, leaner, stronger, lighter, healthier, you know, physiologically in a better place, put up your hand, don't overthink it, and virtually every hand goes up. Yeah. And then my next question is, why aren't you? <laughs> yes why aren't you now and we're not talking about being olympians or having four percent body fat or running a two hour marathon or breaking some kind of record we're just talking about being the best version of you and what i know and what you know is that 
our body and our mind and our emotions are intertwined all the time and nothing really operates in isolation, only in research <laughs> and only in, you know, some kind of science circles. But, you know, the moment that I change my body and I'm a bit healthier, a bit stronger, a bit fitter, I've got more energy, my brain works differently, my emotions are a bit different, my productivity, my outlook, my conversations, my focus like everything changes and it all works together. And this is the beauty of, you know, my, my show is literally called the you project because I think we are all our own biggest project We're you know, N equals one, we're both the researcher and the subject. Yeah. And we're our own worst enemy. I mean, how many times have you seen people about to reach their big audacious goal and then they self-sabotage? Yeah. And I've been that person. I've been that person. Like I'm so flawed. I'm so, I've made so many stuff ups and, and it's okay. And and to people who, if what Amanda just said describes you, that's cool. That's not bad. That's not weak. That's human. And so, but the challenge then is once we stuff up, once we self-sabotage, the challenge then is to go, cool. Why did I do that? Yeah. You know, metacognition, let's start to think about how we think. Let's start to think about how we make decisions. Let's start to think about why do I respond this way in this situation so that I can start to understand me more? Because when I understand me more, then I can self-regulate more effectively. That's it. And basic fear, you know, fear that if I am that size, then what? You know, if mm. I am that mm. strong, then what? Mm. Then what will I have to do? You know, what's yeah. my, yeah. So yeah. people are and, often scared of success. That's that's an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, fear of failure, but also fear of success. When oh, I yeah. first heard that, I don't know how old I was, but I was thinking nobody's scared of success. <laughs> and then I dug a little deeper and I went, ah, oh, yeah. 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 Well, you know, and with success comes a level of pressure. Now you've got yes. to maintain it. That's it. What if, what if people take advantage of me? What if they want my money? What if they're only nice to me because I'm attractive and they don't actually care about me? Or what if they want something or, you know, what, how do I know who's actually real and who's actually a friend? And, and oh, what yeah, if they... it, opens, it can open up a new can of worms. It can, you know, what if they discover I'm really an imposter and I didn't get here, you know, I didn't get the PhD, you know, for my own credit. It was just a fluke. I just happened to get it. But we know that PhDs are not ever flukes because wow. do you find, I mean, you've written lots of books. I've written a book. We've both been published. I found I could hold and carry my whole book in my mind mm. while I was writing and editing and producing it. PhD, no way. You can't mm. hold the whole thing. It is a massive endeavour and I don't, don't think people realise mm. it is so massive. It takes years and years and years. Mm. Yeah, and it's. I think it depends too. You know, I'm not, I, I said to you before we started, I'm more a pracademic than, an, than I am an academic because I've just worked practically with humans, you know, with, with, with blokes in prison, with, with Victoria police, with addicts, with alcoholics, with athletes, with the general public. And it's been very much on the ground, you know, at yep. the coal face of humans. Mm. And then for me to go and sit in a cubicle and read research paper after research paper, and re which some I think between you, I and the audience <laughs> kind of garbage, some of yes. them, but anyway, yes. that's, you know, maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but, but the thing the difference between my background and my, my present in terms of my academic present is that you have to, I have to operate within a, a an academic box and there is no escaping that yes so 
Craig, if you don't agree with all this, bad luck. This is the language of academia. This is the process of academia. Yep. And if you don't want to do this, then you're not doing a PhD. And I'm okay with that because yep. I'm not the boss of the world. So, but, um, <laughs> you know, there's a thought. <laughs> oh, I just wonder who is. <laughs> no, nobody needs me being the boss of the world. But, you know, it's just that. Yeah, I go, okay, and it's good for me because I have to pull my head in and I don't get my own way. And it doesn't matter, you know, here's the thing, like in a, in a PhD, especially in, you know, like neuropsych and, and science where you're doing a lot of heavy, you know, reviewing of literature and so on, to an extent, what you think doesn't matter. In fact, what you know experientially, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like, what does the research tell us? What do your studies tell us? You know, so as a PhD, you get this more than most, but as a PhD student, I'm running studies and I'm collecting data and I'm working with lots of people who are doing lots of, um, you know, stuff with me as part of my research. And then, then you're collecting data and decoding it and trying to figure out what it means and then trying mm. to create relationships with, you know, what I'm studying and other psychological constructs. And, you know, it's interesting. It's, but it's definitely not my natural habitat. And it's been a steep learning curve for me, but that's great because my brain's my brain's trying to keep up. Well, you're growing. You're in learning mode. So what's yeah. the actual topic of your PhD? So my PhD is on a thing. It kind of comes under a few names, but uh, external self-awareness, which is mm. Amanda's ability to understand how other people perceive Amanda. Yeah. So your ability to understand the Amanda experience for others. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, part of this like was because I, I do lots of corporate stuff, often I would... And I would often be called in because like, I've got to do a corporate thing today at yep. uh, what's, I don't know what it is. I don't have my glasses on 930 <laughs> or something in Melbourne as we record this granddad. Yeah. 925. I've got a gig today at 130. Right. And, yep. and, and what I'm talking about today and what I often talk about is I talk about, you know, communication and culture and kind of, um, you know, self-management, but I often get called in about, um, because there's maybe the energy in the place is great, maybe motivation's down, maybe the the culture's a bit whatever, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And what would often happen or happened many times, I'd go in and I would meet the boss <laughs> and I'd go, oh, I found the problem. <laughs> the problem's up here in this big office. Oh, yeah. Right? Now, what was interesting was often the boss or the coach or the leader or the CEO or whoever that person was in that leadership position they had no idea what it was like for their team or staff yes. to be around them. So, you know, and this is a very common thing where an individual is talking to somebody and they think what they're giving that person or those people is direction and positive yeah. feedback and insight and a little bit of education and what the, the audience, be it one or a hundred, what the audience is getting is judgment and attitude yes. and negativity and criticism. Yeah. But when the, the person who's delivering the information doesn't, is not aware of that, yeah. there's a problem. And so a lot of, you know, and I always say to people, you know, that the only person in the world who thinks like you, as in thinks like you 24 seven is you, right? Mm -hmm. So you might be in the same conversation, but you're not in the same experience. Yes. So your job is not dependent on how big your vocab is or how articulate you are, but rather your ability to try to understand the reality of the person in front of you, or at least have an insight, not to agree with, not to align with, not to endorse necessarily, but to understand 
this person in front of me right now, what's their version of this present moment? Because if I don't understand how they are and how they see me, like one of my things that I needed to realize, Amanda, was some people found me intimidating and I love people. And the last mm. thing I want to do is intimidate people. I yeah. want to encourage and support. And they're just like, yeah, but you're intense and you're a little bit scary because you're so, you know, whatever. Um, and that would be, and I had to, <laughs> I didn't believe, I'm like, ah, this person's just soft. <laughs> yeah. Ah, try it. You know, and then after the 30 kind of bits of the same, I'm like, okay, I am intimidating to some. What is that about? How do I do that? How do I? I needed to try and see me through others' eyes so that not so I would water down my beliefs or my ideas, but rather that I could communicate with them in a way which was more effective. Yes, so external self-awareness, and I created, sorry, uh, just quickly, it's very little research on it. It intersects with things like, which you would know, theory of mind, social perspective taking, emotional intelligence, situational awareness. They're all influencing variables. And I've created a scale to test it, measure it. Oh, brilliant. Mm. So, you know, having been on your podcast, The You Project, a couple of times, I know you're really focused on helping people. That's one of the things that you're passionate about and you find purpose in. This is going to help people and your your practical work with people around this, in this area is helping people enormously. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to. I, I think it's like... It's good to encourage and support people, but it's also good to help people with actual, which is your job, with actual strategies. It's yeah. like, you know, when someone says to someone who's worried, don't worry. I'm like, <laughs> you might as well just punch me in the face because that doesn't, <laughs> telling a worried person not to worry yeah. is absolutely zero. It's like saying yeah. to a tall person, don't be tall. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, we. I'm tall. It's like you telling a worried person not to worry. It's mm -hmm. a nice gesture, but it's inane you know there is no value you're not helping if you want to maybe perhaps teach me how not to worry or give mm. me a strategy or an idea or or have a conversation with me and i know the intention's good yeah but you know so for me i'm being able to say to people look you maybe don't have a great awareness of what it's like being around you that's not terrible that's quite common mm. so here are some things to think about yeah you know here's some information and even just posing that question, I say to people all the time, uh, especially in coaching and consulting and in corporate stuff, like, what do you think it's like being around you? And mm. people and people are like, what? I go, what do you think the you experience is like? Now, I'm not talking about from a point of view of insecurity or self-doubt or, or ego. It's mm. not about that. It's about what's the Craig experience like? And yeah. you're a communicator. Your job, apart from you know, obviously what you do, but a big part of your job is communication and connection and understanding the reality of someone else, right? You, yeah. you have to do this. This is a prerequisite for being mm. a psych. Yes. Like if you don't understand someone else's perspective or reality or mindset, <laughs> you literally can't do your job. No. Well, not well, you know, <laughs> but I also think that, you know, virtually every job in the world where communication and interaction and teamwork and problem solving and conflict resolution uh, come into play, which is virtually every job where there's more yes. than one person in the business. Yep. Um, all of these things are important, not just in psychology and the you know treatment of clients and all the work with clients, but it you know working in Woolies, it's the yeah. same. Yeah. You got humans. Every human's got a personality and a mindset and beliefs, and 
And if you're going to try to live harmoniously and productively, then these things matter. And living harmoniously and productively and being aware of others' perception of ourselves and the experience they have of us is a great goal. It's a, it's a big goal in itself for all of us to be focused on. I mean, who needs a PhD when you can do these and focus on these goals and achieve these fantastic human goals of being a great human? 100%. Mm. And, and the better that you can develop that awareness and that understanding, Amanda, the better that your relationships are going to be. Yeah. And I think yeah. harmony and happiness, as you're saying, because, mm. you know, we're getting on with people where we're feeling more fulfilled because we understand and we're caring about the experience other people have of us. Mm. Um, and everyone knows that giving is so much more fulfilling than receiving. And and also, 100% agree, and also, you know, not having to live in a flippin' echo chamber where oh, I, I only listen to people who, who think like me and believe like me. And yeah. guess what? That's a one. It doesn't work. Big no. picture. It doesn't work. Um, two, you know, it's like when you, when we think, when I think that right on this topic or this issue, I'm right. <laughs> I'm automatically saying that everyone in the world who disagrees with me is wrong. Well, yeah. that's pretty arrogant for a start, but anyway, but why can't, Amanda think A and Craig think B and they still be mates. Well, they can. Yes. And in fact, if if our relationship, our friendship is predicated on the fact that we have to agree on everything, we don't have a friendship. We're in a cult. Yes. 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 <laughs> We're agree in a to, cult of thought. That's it. Agree to disagree is so little used and should be, I think, used so much more. And it's so much more interesting to put ourselves in another person's mindset and to imagine their experience of what's going on. You know, if I imagine your experience when you're disagreeing with me on something, it's, mm. it's far more interesting than focusing on still my, I know what my experience is. I know yes. what my mindset is, but, you know, being able to hold the two different opinions. Wow. Yes. That's, that's exciting. That's interesting. And also, you know, here's a, this is for another day, but even this, think about where does this even come from? This this drive to be right. Yes. Right. This I have to be right. No, hey, look, lean in. You don't. <laughs> Guess what? You know, I, I've been working in this space with humans and brains and bodies and thinking. And for 40 years, I know almost nothing. And I've got 40 years of experience of what there is to know. And by the way, I get stuff wrong every day. Yeah. And guess what else? I unlearn things constantly, things that I used to think were absolute concrete, blah, blah. Now they're just sand through my fingers, right? It's mm. like, oh, I got that wrong. Oh, and I got that wrong and I got that wrong. The 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 challenge is not to be right. The challenge is to is to learn as best I think, learn as best you can. And when you're wrong, go, I stuffed that up. I was wrong. I mean, I started in gyms in 1982 and for a good decade or more, Amanda, I taught people the food pyramid because that was the best science at the time Yeah, and we now know it's not. And so yeah. I basically taught, I don't know, 10,000 people how to eat based on this model that we now know is flawed. And then one day, metaphorically and kind of literally, I had to go, hey, everyone, I got it wrong. <laughs> this is what I know now because yeah. there's more research, there's more information and we yeah. found out. You know that that's a whole other chat too. The the skull duggery that went on behind the research that that predicated the food pyramid was fascinating as well. Oh like yes, super shifty and dodgy. You know, yes. but anyway, but 
when I learned better, I didn't, I didn't argue. I went, oh, okay. So I've been wrong. Oh, wow. This science makes sense. Yeah. Um, I got that wrong. Uh, so did a lot of other people, by the way, but I got it wrong. So I'm putting up my hand. I'm unlearning. I'm learning something new and it's okay. Like it's, it's okay. okay. It's part of the growth mindset that there will be mistakes. There will be new discoveries, as you say, unlearning and relearning new things. Mm. And and that's pretty exciting that things don't stay the same. They keep changing. And, and, you know, we're in a time now of such uncertainty and rapid change that I was fascinated to read the research. I had to present at a conference uh, a few months ago that during all of this major change with pandemic, personal goals were really important to people. And mm. those people that held on to their personal goals and reinvented them when they weren't able to continue pursuing them in the same way due to lockdowns and so forth, yeah. those ones managed the lockdowns, the pandemic so much better than those who threw away their personal goals. So I think, you know, being able to continue to have that open mind to rethink the way we do things like the yeah. the way you teach people about food and rethink and, and follow the research or new things that come along, that open-mindedness and that continuing to have our goals, I think mm. is is an important part of continuing to grow as a human and be reaching or, or moving towards our potential that you're talking about and to be fulfilled and happy and have a sense of purpose and meaning, which we know as humans we need. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, this to be way easier said than done, especially coming from a bloke who's doing his PhD in self-awareness, but self-awareness is to just recognize what, what am, you know, why do I think this way? And why do I, why am I so terrified that this could be wrong? Or, you know, another really interesting thing around beliefs and this, this rigid mindset that we can have. And yeah. I have, I mean, I was raised in a very religious household, mm. right? So, and I'm, this is not about religion, what I'm about to say, it's about mindset and psychology yeah. and programming. So I knew in inverted commas, I knew by the time I was 10, that everyone who wasn't on my team, my religious team was going to hell. I knew Ooh. that. Wow, And I knew that hell was real. And I knew that if I died in sin, that I would burn in an eternal lake of fire. There's a nice thought for a 10-year-old, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. this is all programming. Yeah. Now, when I was trained and taught and told and programmed, which I was by my, by my church, by my family, by my school, by my elders, when I was programmed that way, there was no... Nobody taught me how to think. Every everyone told me what to think. Yeah. Everyone told me what to think. Right. Mm. So there's no ability to um, a question. So what can happen is then we end up with adults and not just with church, but a lot of beliefs and whether or not it's about your football team or your political alliance or your whatever. Where now I'm I'm 40 and now I get my entire sense of self from my beliefs. My identity is tied into my beliefs. Yeah. So therefore my beliefs cannot be questioned because if you question them, you question who I am as a human. Yeah. So this is why this idea of holding onto our beliefs loosely is a good one. Yes. Because if I, you know, if there's, you know. Um, well, then we keep growing if we've got a loose hold on our beliefs. Yes. And you also, you know, and the, the other thing is this, you think about, <laughs> You think about the human experience, the Craig experience, despite the fact that I can talk about being open-minded and self-aware and objectivity and all of these nice sounding things that I can talk about. The reality is that for Craig and for everyone is that I look at the world through the Craig window. Yeah. 
I might, the Craig window is Craig's beliefs and values and training and yeah. perception and likes and dislikes and value system. And, and, and I have to acknowledge that I have to acknowledge, despite my understanding of objectivity and awareness and all, I have to acknowledge that I can't be totally open-minded. Mm. I can't be totally objective because my experience of the world is subjective. Yes. yes <laughs> it's always. necessarily subjective. Yes. So therefore I'm, even though I'm aware of it, I'm still looking at things through the Craig filter and processing mm. my external world through the Craig. But the beginning of awareness is to recognize our lack of awareness. Oh, I love it. Um, I'm asking all my guests, Craig, what makes you psyched for life? Mm. What makes me psyched for life? That's a good question. Um, this is going to sound cliche, but for me, it is true. It is having a purpose bigger than me. When I was young, I was quite, um, I was quite selfish, and I was quite all about what I could get and have and earn and own. Um, and I tried that model. I tried the selfishness model. It didn't work. <laughs> I, I, it worked. I made, I made good dough, and I built a successful business and all that stuff. But in the middle of all of that, um, I, I wasn't a particularly super happy or fulfilled person. I was, you know, perhaps socially, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt or somewhere in the ballpark. And then, you know, for me, I've I've just discovered over the last 20 years, really, you know, that, yeah, I still want to run a business and I still want a successful podcast. I want to learn and grow. But I know that when I, when I help others, when I serve others, when I have a purpose bigger than me, um, that my life is good. And so that always um, being able to you know, and of course we don't all have limitless energy or time or resources, but being able to help as many people as I can and being able to help people who might not have got where they could have got, being able to help them get there, being able to help them understand their ability and their potential, and then to take ownership of that and then do something with it. That kind of like human potential lights me up. Possibilities light me up. Fantastic. You've been a delight as always, Craig, to chat with. And if people want to receive your help, they can find you at your website, which is just craigharper.net. Yeah. Wonderful. And your podcast, of course, The You Project. Sure. And people can follow me on Insta. I post a lot of whiteboard messages, handwritten whiteboard message that I just photo and put up. And that's called at whiteboard lessons or one word. And they're so inspiring. So people really will um, benefit from having a look at that Insta very much. Thank you so much, Craig, for being a guest today. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate you. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline again 24-7 on 1800 1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. 
The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.